Great. Um, yeah, very warm welcome to you um, if it's your first time joining us um, and to all the regulars, uh, hello, it's good to see you um, on a very early morning. Um, yeah, so today's Bible reading is from Ezra chapter 7, verse 8 to 28. And if you don't have a Bible uh, paper copy and would like one, then um, raise your hand and one of the host team will get to you. Before we begin, let me pray. Dear gracious Lord, uh, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can um, dive into it together and see how you're a God who is, in, who is faithful to your people, Lord. Um, I pray that you would please help us, um, help us understand your word. I pray for Sipi, help him to preach faithfully, Lord, from your word. Um, and I ask that you would give us ears to listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, Ezra chapter 7, verse 8. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that anyone of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Ju Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counsellors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the house of on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given to you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. Verse 21. And I, Artaxerxes the king, Make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them, you shall teach." Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation or of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the God, be, 
Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counsellors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. This is God's word. Hello, yes, I'm there. Okay. Thanks, Abby, for reading um, God's Word for us. Um, hello, everyone. Um, I am CP, if you do not know me, and uh, I basically come from India, and I've spent five years here in Australia, and all my five years have been here at CP Church as a member, and also uh, from the last two years, I've been a mission partner here at CP Church. So in my day-to-day life, I proclaim Jesus at Griffith University, and how do I do that? I teach the Bible to students, um, and I do my apprenticeship with an organization called AFES, which is Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students, right? And I'm in my second and the last year of my apprenticeship, um, and apprenticeship is all about uh, knowing if you are good for ministry and is ministry good for you. And uh, if you want to talk more about it, I love chatting about it. And also, yeah, please, if you're free on the seventh evening, please do come. Uh, We're going to praise God and thank God for the partnership we have had since the last two years. Uh, Today, we're going to look into God's heart and see that God is faithful, right? God is faithful even when we are mediocre servants and even when we are unfaithful, and even when life seems too hard and crippling. We're going to feel the warmth of His faithfulness together today. How about I pray before we start? Yeah, Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You that we can come together as church, Your people, to look into Your heart, which is so faithful. Father, be with us, move our hearts and our lives through your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Well, welcome to the third sermon of our sermon series, uh, Rebuild, Restore, Reform, from the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And we are in the part of the Bible story where God's anger is boiling down at Israel's sinfulness and unfaithfulness, and they are given into the hands of the Babylonian Empire. They are taken to exile, and they spend 70 years there. This is the deepest valley of darkness and gloom God's people have ever been into. Away from the promised land, the temple is broken, and, which means God is not among them. We, Israelites, are unfaithful, but God is faithful because God brings them back, fulfilling the promise He gives through the prophet Jeremiah. And we often tend to lose track of stuff like that easily. 
And that's exactly the space where the Israelites are sitting right now because it's been 57 years since they have come out of the exile. Let's put that into perspective. I found this uh, advertisement, um, which is almost 58 years ago. That's how much it costs for a deposit for a house, right? So the average, in, in Sydney, that's uh, Winston Hills. Uh, it's, it's a suburb in Sydney. That's just how it was a deposit for a house. And yeah, the average cost of a house in Sydney today is $1.2 million. And the average cost 57 years ago was $4,500, which is equivalent of $90,000 today. But still, that's not enough for a deposit, right? Uh, let me give you another example of 50 years. The right hand and the left hand of this man, Cooper, Mr. Martin Cooper, who made the first phone call uh, through a wireless mobile phone, uh, is 50 years older than the one that he's having in his left hand, right? So that thing in his left hand, uh, it's almost a kilogram. And nowadays, we're moving forward to um, having no physical phones soon, right? So that's 57 years for you, right? Now, that's a lot of time. And God's people in Jerusalem really need someone to help them remind of God what God has done for them again. And because of the unfaithfulness has crept inside again, therefore there is this danger of going back to exile, and probably this time forever, right? But God remains faithful. God sends Ezra, and Ezra is finally in Jerusalem in chapter 7. It's like an anticipated hero who arrives late in the movie, right? Yet he is the hero that God sends, but yet is he the hero that would bring back Israel to God? Is he the hero we've been waiting for? Was Ezra any one of your heroes when you chatted? I don't think so, right? Well, let's find out. God raises faithful servants, Ezra the man. So allow me to introduce Ezra, right? Now, Ezra's resume looks pretty strong for the position of being Israel's hero now, right? Let's look into the Bible, verse 1 to 5. It says, After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, there are going to be a lot of names. King of Persia, Ezra, son of Seraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zariah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Right? He's from the line of chief priests, Aaron, who was the elder brother of Moses. Therefore, Ezra is someone who's eligible to lead Israel to God by helping them follow the law. He ticks all the boxes to lead God's people even into the presence of God in the temple because he's eligible to go into the Holy of the Holies in the temple. And he's even a well-known influencer in Babylon. Even to a foreign king, they were under. Verse 6. It says... This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher of the law, well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. 
the king has granted him everything he asked. What an influence, being an exile over the king. Not just was he just privileged by lineage, but Ezra is a high achiever as well. He's really good at what he does, being a priest. Verse 10, it says, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of God and to the teaching his decrees and laws in Israel. He's the guy, right? He is the hero Israel's been looking for. Now, the story of Ezra is like a second, third gen person living here in, in Australia. And he's sent back to the native country. He gets trained in a country which is rich in knowledge and resources. And it's a liberal state where he's allowed to practice his own faith. Now, let me show you that in verse 6 again. He comes from Babylon. He's not from Jerusalem. He's from Babylon. This means Ezra would have never seen Jerusalem in the first place. Only heard of it. He might not even met anyone from the first group of exiles. It's been 57 years. And so he's going to be sent to a place... He has only heard of, and to a people he has never met, unknown, yet kind of known as well. So here the context helps us understand it was not the brilliance of Ezra, but God in his faithfulness pulls the strings of the history to raise someone up like Ezra in a foreign place to serve his people. Allow me to show that in verse 6 and 9. Verse 6. The king had granted him everything he had asked for. For the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. Similarly, verse 9. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he has arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. For the gracious hand of his God was him. It is God who raises someone like Ezra and sends his faithful servant to Jerusalem. Ezra has served God in Babylon, and it was time for him to go to Jerusalem to serve his people there. But the question is, why? Right? Why would God send someone like Ezra when he's already sent exiles and they were recently writing the first set of exiles. It is because they were finding hard to be faithful to God. And even when things looked out of control for these expect hobos, they were not out of God's control. He is faithful. And have a look at how he uses the most powerful king in the world to take his plans for his people. God seeks faithfulness, Ezra's mission. Artaxerxes, what a name, right? It's like authoritative, Artaxerxes, love that name. And in verse 6, we see that, that Ezra is having a chat with, with Artaxerxes, and 
where the Persian king gets to know about God and even grants Ezra whatever he asks for. Now that, see, now that's quite amazing because to put it in perspective, imagine like a ruler or a government of a country which is closed for Christianity, like North Korea or even India, rings a mission agency or a CPE church and would, I wouldn't say that, hey, could you guys come over and build a church for us? And also, make sure that people follow God. And by the way, all expenses are on us, on the house. Now, whoever pick up the call could go, eh? What? Like, see? Who, like, similarly, Ezra being known as a teacher to the law, of the law to the Persian royal court in verse 12, and the Persian king, not only okay for Ezra to go to Jerusalem, but also aids Ezra with a lot of resources for his mission, that's big. Now, what was the mission the king is on board with Ezra? That's in verse 14. Read with me, please. You're sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. To make sure God people are keeping the law, being faithful to God. That was Ezra's mission. And this is the reason God raised up Ezra and moved the heart of a foreign king. Yes, Ezra is a great teacher. Yes, the Persian kings were liberal in the way they ruled their kingdom. Yet it was God in his faithfulness to his people, moving the strings of history to bring his people to him. Allow me to show that in the text in verse 27, 28. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it in the heart of the king's who has put into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials, because the hand of the Lord my God was on me. I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. It was God who put in the king's heart. It was God's hand that took Israel from Babylon to Jerusalem so that his people could be faithful to him, be with him, and not stray away to other gods. Now, there's a problem with, I'm going to call Artaxerxes Arta, okay? It's too long. Now, there's a problem with Arta's understanding of faithfulness to God here. Verses 15 to 17 show us that Artaxerxes thinks that it takes gold, silver, and offerings to be faithful to God. So you can see there's a lot of silver, a lot of gold, offering, take offerings from people, buy animals for sacrifice, and a lot of offerings, right? Arda mistakes faithfulness with bribery. He tries to bribe God so that, here's his motive, verse 23. He says, 
Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. Why should his wrath fall on the realm of the king and of his sons? He does all of that because Arthur is trying to bribe God so that God's anger remains under control. See, he's right about God's anger. Nobody want to face God's anger, right? You want to avoid it with everything you can. Yet using sacrifices like an aircon remote to keep God's angry head cool, keep putting things on the altar like decreasing the temperature on the remote, keep God happy and his head cool. And we see this crack in the understanding in the limited generosity of Arthur in verse 21 to 22. He says, I, King Artaxerxes, decree that all the treasurers of transcripts are to provide with diligence whatever Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of God of heaven, may ask of you, up to a hundred talents, up to a hundred cores, up to a hundred baths. There's a limited generosity. And also, the way the Persian kings treated themselves equal to God in verse 25 and 26. He says to Ezra, Ezra, make magistrates so that they can follow the law. And whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death. The king's law is like the law of God. Treat the king's law and the God's law equally. They're equally important. That's what Arta is telling Ezra. Is this your understanding of faithfulness to God? Doing things as a Christian, being a remote control to control God's anger? Is that what drives you to attend church? Is that what drives you your prayer life? Your devotional time in the Bible? The kindness to people around you. Is that what drives you? See, that was me a few years ago. Because it was so ingrained in me to read the Bible every day that it became a task. And every time I missed reading it in the morning, I would tell myself, ah, oh, that's why I'm having a bad day. My faithfulness was devoted to my good life not God. I just wanted God's anger to be away from my good life. Or even use God to serve my good life. It's like throwing a bone in the backyard so the dog goes, gets outside and you close the door behind so that you can have some time for yourself. It's like saying to God, I've done this five minutes of reading so that I can have the rest of my day. Be happy with that. The question I always asked myself was, what's the least I could give God to keep him happy so that I can have most of my life for myself? My relationship with God was just like a barter system. See, I prayed, so you must give. See, I went to church. You better give me a great week. It's never a real relationship. God gave the laws 
not for him to be controlled by humans. Rather, in his faithfulness, he gave the law. To set us apart, to be holy, so that we could be with him, because he is holy. That has been God's greatest desire since the beginning, to be with his people. Dear brothers and sisters, are you guilty of using God to serve your good life? Whatever that good life revolves around for you, your time, your bank balance, your possessions, career, image, your relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, porn, or you've been unable to stop having sex outside of marriage? Are we trading God for these things? Trading life for death? We saw God being faithful throughout, and you know what? We don't deserve a faithful God. The good news is, He is always faithful. Even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. In our recent times, the church has been going through some real tough situations and it has been really hard not to doubt God. And it's been really hard to be hopeful and remain faithful. If you're someone here who do know God and his heart and have been wanting to be with him as he wants to be with you, yet the brokenness of this world we live in is wavering your faith and the tough situations ahead of you making you doubt God and his faithfulness, allow God to talk to you today from Ezra chapter 8. So what happens after is Ezra gathers all the leaders and they are about to start the journey. They camp somewhere outside uh, Babylon in a canal to count the people and the possessions, right? And he finds that there is no Levites. And Levites are the only people who are supposed to carry the sac- sacred articles. What now? Who is going to move their hearts to join this journey? Verse 17 to 20. It says, I'm sorry. I ordered them to go to Edo, the leader in Kasphia. I told them what to say to Edo and the, his fellow Levites, the temple servants, servants in Kasphia, so they might bring attendance to us for the house of our God. Because the gracious hand of our God was on us, they brought us Sherebiah. Not just that. In verse 20, they also brought 220 of the temple servants. God remains faithful. And again, imagine carrying all the tons and tons of gold and silver and grains and the rattling of all the articles on the way 
it would definitely get the attention of the bandits, right? And they had children with them. And we finally see Ezra's faith wavering. He was supposed to be the hero. Verse 22. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road. Because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks on to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. He preaches the truth about God boldly to the king. But the situation in front of him is making him doubt God. He's ashamed. He's ashamed of who God is. Yet, during his wavering faith, we see a good example in Ezra and what he does in verse 21 and 23. There by the canal, I proclaimed a fast so we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey. In verse 23, so we fasted and petitioned our God about this. He humbles, he asks God, and he prays. He's like, I don't get this. This is just too much to lose. But you know what? Mayo will be done. You have asked me to go, I'm going to go. Sounds similar to the response Jesus makes in the Garden of Gethsemane. And see what God does. He answered our prayers. And in verse 31, on the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Hava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he protected us from the enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. God remains faithful. Guys, recently I've started teaching year one and two at Sunday school, and I love them. I love teaching year one and two. Uh, I was teaching this particular passage to them, and I was thinking, I have this great idea in my head to help them understand this passage, right? So I told them, I asked them, hey kids, just imagine after your big group time across the road from the dance studio, you come all the way here, to your small group time. And when you reach here, you realize you left your teachers back at the dance studio. Oh no, right? By the way, parents, that doesn't happen, right? It's a pretend story. <laughs> Kids are safe. I asked that question, and there was this dead silence. They were like, oh no, that's right. And I was expecting them to go, oh no, who's gonna teach us about God, right? Instead, they went, oh, yes, more free time, right? <laughs> they were like, we can do whatever we want now. Well, that study didn't go according to plan, but that gave me a great illustration for today's sermon. Because that's the pattern Israel's been following. They wander off to other false gods as soon as they are left by themselves. And that's the pattern we follow in rejecting God if we don't invest ourselves in God's word and in having relationship with God. 
And that's exactly why God in his kindness sent someone like Ezra because Israel needed help to be pointed to God and the truth. And his faithfulness, God keeps sending his faithful servants again and again. Yet in the hardness of heart, they kept rejecting God. God sent a couple more prophets after Ezra. And then he went silent for 400 years. His anger kept boiling against them in the background, meanwhile. And the only thing left for Israel was for them to wait for their complete destruction or a final exile. Therefore, Israel wasn't the hero they were looking for, sadly. Sadly, his PhD in the law wasn't enough. We needed more than that. Because all the law could do is just expose the hardness of heart. But we needed someone who could change hearts. That's the true reform needed. Change of hearts. The only one moving hearts today in in today's passage has been God, isn't it? Ezra's heart to go to uh, Jerusalem, Artaxerxes' heart, the heart of the elders, the Levites. And guess what? Therefore, God himself rocks up in the flesh. God, in his faithfulness, doesn't go silent forever. God sends his son, the God-man. And there is no one better God could have sent who would point us to him than his own son. Aaron and Ezra, yes, they were good priests, good high priests, but Jesus becomes a great high priest. Turn to me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. He was faithful. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. With a mission to save humanity, Jesus walks straight to the cross, dies a humiliating death, so that we could be with him in heaven for eternity. No more Life in the dread of being sent into exile. Because we can approach God with confidence. Because all of God's anger has been paid off on the cross. No more sacrifice needed. It was finished on the cross. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have a living relationship with God. 
and inseparable from the love of God. God shows his ultimate expression of faithfulness in Jesus. Even to those who are reluctant. Even to those who are unfaithful. Therefore, I read my Bible not to keep God's anger in check because it's already finished on the cross. I do that because of His love for me. I go to church so that I can enjoy and bring praise and glory to His name and enjoy the fellowship with my brothers and sisters because of His glorious grace. And I follow Jesus not because I can earn God's favor. It's because I'm already united with God in Christ. Because I have complete access to God because of Jesus. My dear friends, therefore, the least I could give to my faithful God is all of my life. Can I have the next slide, please? The least we could give to our faithful God is all of our lives. Dear brothers and sisters, this is our faithful God. And the only response to a faithful God is being faithful to Him as a response to what God has done in Jesus. And if you're struggling, if you're someone who's struggling with unfaithfulness, bring your heart to Jesus. He has the power to change hearts like no one else. He has the power to save lives. Bring your heart to Jesus. There is forgiveness and there is hope of eternal life. Only and only because God remains faithful. And He shows that to us by loving us through His Son, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so faithful. You're so faithful even when we are not. And that didn't stop you from sending your Son. Father, help us to bring our hearts to you, to Jesus so that we can give all of our lives to you for your glory. Amen. Take some time to reflect on that sermon. Bring your hearts to Christ.